as you're going to John chapter 8, when I was in high school, our church youth group, uh, during the summertime, we played some games at nighttime. And one of them was capture the flag. And being in central California in a farming area, we'd play capture the flag either in orange orchards that were out there or these huge grass fields or a mix of both. And if you haven't played that before, you know, you divide up in two teams. Each team has a flag and you have to protect your flag from the other team stealing it and bringing it across their line. The only catch as we played this was we played this after it was dark. Uh, not having summers like here where it's like light until almost midnight, but it was uh, dark and you could not use a flashlight, but you had to use some lights to illuminate where your flag was so the other team would know. The good thing was the darkness and we would dress up in all black or camouflage and paint our face and you'd sneak around, you'd set out strategies trying to sneak over and get the flag without being tagged. The darkness was great for that. But there was also a problem with the darkness because you didn't see the holes or the tree roots or the bushes or the rocks and had some falls that uh, you'd get injured, but because it was so much fun, you didn't really matter much about that. I remember one time we were playing Capture the Flag. I remember falling during the game at this one spot, didn't know what it was I tripped over. The next week, we just happened to have youth group there again. We weren't doing a night game, but we were all there before the sun went down. And I was like, oh, that's the path I was going. There's where I ate it real hard. The light made everything different, which it was kind of scary at some parts. You wouldn't know who's on your team or where are they at. Uh, but then to see it in the light, you're like, oh, wow. Uh, I thought this was some huge course, and it actually wasn't very big at all. And what we look at today is light and darkness. And just as the sunlight illumined that place where we were playing capture the flag, we look at what Jesus says about his light uh, that shines into the darkness of our souls. As we look at John chapter 8, the scriptural truth this morning from John 8 is this, Jesus is the only one who can shine the light of life into the dark souls of mankind. Look with me at John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word of God. Again, Father, we ask that you would give us an understanding and you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this uh, verse here, one verse this week, and we'll talk about what's happening in this text here, but the first point is the true light. Jesus speaks of himself as the true, the only true light. And if you go through the Old Testament and you read about light, light is what is given to describe the Lord God Almighty and his word. Psalm chapter 27 verse 1 says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Maybe you don't want to admit it, but uh, maybe you're afraid of the dark. Some of you are like, yes, I am afraid of the dark. A lot of times kids going to bed at light, they need a night light on. Um, you, it's one of those things you're out in the middle of nowhere. Heard a story this weekend of uh, a couple people that were in Glacier National Park and got stuck overnight in the dark without light and 
they had to wait for the morning sun while there's bears around. A little fearful uh, moment there in the darkness. This person said he had peace while he was out there. The nation of Israel, as they would sing these psalms that were written by King David, they would sing of the Lord being their light, or hear their salvation. If you read in Numbers chapter 6, there was a blessing that Moses gives to Aaron and his sons as they were made the priest, the high priest and the other priests. And it says in Numbers 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to what? Shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When God brought the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, and he did all those miraculous wonders, and he led them through and parted the Red Sea, as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, God directed them by day with this huge pillar of clouds, and by night there was a pillar, and what was it? A pillar of what? Anyone know? A fire. It was to light the way of the nation of Israel when he directed them to move at night that they could see where they went, that God is not only the light, but he is the one who provides the true light of life. When you read of God's glory displayed in Scripture, whenever you read about people seeing the glory of God, they fall down on their faces because the glory of God is described as this great, bright, shining, blinding light. And the people fall down and they respond and worship. The prophet Isaiah, when he saw the Lord seated on the throne and saw the glory of God, he said, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. And he realized he was a sinner. In Psalm 27, if you continue to read in that text, they would be singing these songs. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Some of you sing the scriptures and you sing about the Lord being your salvation and your light. When you read some of the Psalms, especially like the Psalms of Ascents, you might say, what is this, these section of Psalms here? The nation of Israel would sing as they went up to Jerusalem, singing these Psalms and describing God as their light and their salvation. But we also read in the Old Testament that God's word His law is a light. It's a lamp. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my what? Feet and a light to my what? Path. You know what it's it's like to turn on a flashlight, to walk in the dark, whether in the house or outside, so that you can see where you are going, so that you don't trip and that you don't fall. And God's word is, is described as that for life? Shouldn't we spend our lifetime in God's Word, which is the light for how we walk, where we walk, in what manner of way we walk, just like Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, that we would follow Him and walk in His light. When you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49 is one of the texts writing about uh, the Messiah to come. 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah writes what God tells him to write about Jesus who would be born in the manger. And when you read Isaiah 49, it describes uh, the Lord who is the Messiah, and it says, I will make you as light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Back around uh, Christmas time, the season of Advent, we read Isaiah chapter 9. 
And in Isaiah chapter 9, writing 700 years before the birth of Christ, saying that on the people walking in darkness, a light has shone. Describing that light being Jesus And when you read these texts and then you look at John chapter 8 today, when he says that I am the light of the world, it begins to make some sense. If you read Leviticus chapter 23 this week, it will help you with some understanding of what's happening in John chapter 8 when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Leviticus chapter 23, God commands the nation of Israel and says, you're going to do an annual feast every year. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And there's some specific instructions. And in this feast, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people were to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every time. They were to go up to Jerusalem and celebrate this feast. And as they celebrated this feast, there was great rejoicing. It was seven days long. And while they rejoiced, they were to remember specifically the Exodus. If you read the book of Exodus, I've already mentioned it twice, as God brings the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he leads them to the promised land, and as they wandered in the wilderness, they lived in booths and tents, and God told them, you are to remember this, pointing to God's direction, his provision, that in the wilderness for 40 years, they get to the promised land, and it says that their sandals never wore out, This picture of God providing for them as he leads them. And in Leviticus 23, it tells them they're to go to Jerusalem and to make some tents. A lot of you like to camp during the summer. Maybe you're even brave in the winter and you like to camp in tents. Or you like to not even take a tent, but make your own type of makeshift tent or place to camp out. This is what they did for seven days. And while they did that, they celebrated the Lord God Almighty. Now, one of the things that happens when you read what Jesus says here, you jump forward to the time of Christ, even though Leviticus, years before God says, do this feast, this feast has just happened if you read the previous chapter. Or it may be the last day of the feast. And so when you are seeing what's going on, you're going, okay, they're in booths, they're in the tabernacle, are these tabernacles that they built. Jesus now makes this great statement. When you read uh, just some historical things about the nation of Israel and about the temple worship and things that happened during the times of Christ, Leviticus, God did not declare to do this, but during the times of Christ, when they celebrated the Feast of Booths, they had this humongous candelabra with these, um, these oil lamps And every evening of that seven days, the priests would light these lamps. And it was said by the people there was so much bright coming from the courtyard of the temple that there was not a house in Jerusalem that was not lit up. So they're celebrating God during those seven days. They're lighting these lamps every night. And that's the background of what happens why Jesus says what he says in verse 12, that I am the light of the world. Now, we don't know if the light just ended on the last day. We don't know if this is a couple days following. But again, imagine being there, knowing of these lights, and then you hear someone say that they're not only the light of the world, but they say they're God. Fulfilling the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus is a light that people can celebrate life under Him, the light of life. 
Look again at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus doesn't just say, I am the light of the world, by the way. He makes a huge statement. If you weren't with, here with us last week when we saw that Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he uses in the uh, original language here this word I am, ego, emi. And ego means I am, and emi means I am. And when they're put together, he says, I am, I am the light of the world. Or in the actual literal, it says, the light of the world, I am. And we saw last week, and I remind you again, if you go to the book of Exodus, it's the same word in the Septuagint that is used here when God tells Moses from the bush that, by the way, was flames of fire, not burning up, light emitting from it, and he says, I, tell the people that I am. And so Jesus declares before these people not only that he's the light of the world, but he says, I am. I'm God. And again, if you were a religious Jewish leader at that time, you would probably say that is blasphemous because that would not get past them that he is declaring that he is God. But John the Apostle doesn't shy away from this at all. If you read the Gospel of John, if you read 1 John, which he wrote, he uses light and darkness repeatedly, and the light is always referring to Jesus Christ. If you go just a few pages back to John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, after John declares that Jesus Christ is the Word, that He is God, he says this in verse 4 of Christ, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John the Apostle also wrote the book of Revelation. And when you read the book of Revelation, he has this vision that God gives him, and specifically of Jesus standing among these seven lampstands. And it describes Jesus, the Lamb of God, as his face is shining like the sun at its brightest moment. I don't know if you've ever tried to look at the sun. I know you shouldn't look at the sun, but it may be, you know, I think as a kid, you're like, you kind of want to look at it real quick. It like leaves a spot in your eye. It is so blinding at times, especially after you have months of winter and clouds and the sun came out this last week. And it's like, where are my sunglasses? I need it. And it's like, it's still behind the clouds there. Jesus is described as the blazing sun. His face is described as that light. And so we know from the gospel of John, we know from the word of God that Jesus Christ is the true light who has always been and who always be. That even before the birth of Christ, when he added humanity to his divinity, when Jesus Christ was born in the manger, fully God and fully man, he has always been the true light of life. And he is the only one who can give anyone eternal life, living in the light of God Almighty for eternity. And we see the reason why Jesus came was to shine light into the darkness. The second point is walking in the darkness. Let's think about that for a minute. When you walk in the darkness, 
to think it can be a fearful thing. You cannot see well. But when you turn on that light switch or when someone shines that, turn, lights the candle or shines the flashlight, you're like, oh, there it is over there. Oh, now I can see where I'm at. And here, specifically, Jesus addresses those who are walking in darkness. He says, I am the light of the world, verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in what? Darkness. What is this darkness? Is it literally just turning off the lights, the sun going down? It being very hard to see. What are you speaking of? And when you read this word being used in Scripture, it is a metaphor used to describe sin. It's also used to describe ignorance. It's also used to describe the deeds of Satan when you see this word used in Scripture. Literally, it means ignorance of divine things. It means uh, associated with wickedness. And... Um, it's also used as the resultant misery in hell. Darkness. What Jesus is pointing to, which you can also go and read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking of spiritual blindness. The darkness, when it's used here, especially when you read 1 John, the apostle speaks about living in light and living in the darkness. The darkness he refers to is spiritual darkness. The state of every person before salvation in Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian this morning, today, right now, as I speak, you're walking in spiritual darkness. And if you are in Christ and you have faith in Him and you've been saved by the blood of Christ, then you have the light of Jesus Christ in you. And you're commanded to walk in light and not in darkness. And we'll see this in just a moment. But this spiritual blindness is what Jesus is speaking of. And when you read this, when you read the supporting scriptures, um, the reality of scripture, it says that mankind, all mankind, loves darkness. Everyone. And mankind hates the light. Because again, when you're in the darkness, that light shines and it blinds you. You don't want that. Or think about doing deeds in the darkness. Why is there a lot of other things done at nighttime in certain places? It's because it's dark. People don't want to be seen. And the light exposes them. And this is what Jesus did when he comes on the scene, when he's born in the manger, when he lives this life, the light, the true light of life, he is exposing the darkness of mankind in their lives, in their souls, spiritually. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Scripture tells us the state of all mankind before being saved by the true light of Jesus Christ is that we are wicked. And the problem is this. We never want to hear the word wicked. Even before coming to Christ, we think and lie to ourselves, well, I do sin but I'm still good enough, or I, I'm not wicked. Pastor just said we're wicked. No, I didn't say we're wicked. Scripture says we are. Romans chapter 3. Read Romans chapter 3 this week. Paul the Apostle quotes passages in the book of Psalms. The Word of God says this. It says that no one seeks God. Paul goes on in Romans 3 and says, no one does good. 
And you're like, well, but I do some good things. Well, yes, we can do some good things, but we do good things before Christ for our glory and not for God's. And so in this world, morality, you might think, well, I've got some good things I do. I'm moral. I'm not as bad as that person over there. But yet your good or greatest, best moral deeds are filthiness before the Lord. That's what Scripture teaches us. It's not what Pastor Paul says or an elder in this church says or someone teaching. It's literally what Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 says. It says, not even one. You go, well, that's the case. I should just leave right now. What am I supposed to do about that? We'll turn to John chapter 3. You're like, oh, yes, John chapter 3. I know verse 16. I even know verse 17. But do you know verses 19 and 20 and 21? After we read that wonderful text of God sending his son because of his love, it says this in verse 19 of John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were what? It says evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And we say, praise the Lord. It's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 29 last week. It says, this is the work of God that you believe. And so God gets all the glory for saving us. And those who do not believe in Christ as Lord and Savior will live in their wickedness and in the darkness of hell with the wrath of God upon them for all eternity. While those who are saved by faith alone in Christ alone will walk in the light of Jesus Christ forever. Again, the problem is, is most people, or may I just say all of us, before Christ, um, we don't want to say that we're sinners, or if we do say we sin, well, I, I do the little sins. Okay, I've done some wrong things against God. Well, everyone does. But we don't like the words evil and wicked. And that's scripture. That's God's words of his description of us. But we don't want it because we've been raised in a way in which, no, we're all good to a certain extent. And that is the lies of Satan. And people don't want to talk about hell ever. Yet Jesus repeatedly spoke of hell. He gave parables speaking of hell. One of them is in Matthew chapter 22. This is what Jesus says of hell in verses 13 and 14. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This weeping and gnashing of teeth in the darkness is repeated in the New Testament descriptions of hell the second to the last book of the Bible. It's one page most likely in your Bible. It's the book of Jude. Verse 13, Jude says and describes hell as utter darkness or blackest darkness or the darkest of darkness. And so not only do you have descriptions of hell and this place of torment and it's hot, but being in complete darkness for all eternity. 
I mean, again, think of a place where you've been in complete darkness. You will never see light again, is this description. And on top of that, the worst thing, more than the darkness of hell, worse thing than the, the hot heat of hell, the gnashing of teeth, it's the wrath of God the Father upon those in hell for eternity. And we don't want to ever say, oh, that's, whoa, it's way, it's way too harsh. No. Think about the cross. Because the sins that you committed against the Lord God Almighty, that Jesus Christ, him who knew no sin, was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, bore the wrath of God the Father meant for you. And you say, wow. The love of Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. When you read some of these things about the evil and wickedness of our heart before Christ, you might say, well, is there any hope? Yes, there is hope. It's found in Jesus Christ. And I love this passage in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6, because again, Paul's writing to Christians, and he says, hey, here's how you were before, and here, let me talk about what happened to make you where you are now Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We don't like that one either. Like the rest of mankind. Do you see that? But God, there's your hope, church. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We read that in John chapter 3 last week about being born again and the Holy Spirit doing that regenerating work. It says, by grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in who, church? Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the hope and the joy that you have if you have faith in Christ. And though we live in a dark world and we stumble and fall, and the temptation is always to go back to the darkness, the Lord has saved his people from their sins, shined the light of life into their hearts, and given them the Holy Spirit of God to guide them that they would walk in the light of life. The third point is walking in the light of life. Look back again at verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not what? It says, I'll read it again, verse 12, John 8. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not what? Walk in darkness. Again, I don't know if maybe last night you tried to walk in the darkness. Sometimes I have got up in the middle of the night, go get some water, go to the bathroom, and it's like, who moved the furniture? Because on my way back to bed, I've kicked it with all my force. I've got it in the shin or the knee. I'm like, it's like something jumps out on you there uh, in the midst of my tired stumblings, but without a light source, you can get hurt. Without a light source, it could be a fearful thing. 
again, trying to go on a night hike may not be the best idea without some light. I'll just go by the moon and the stars, and then when the clouds come in, it's a little bit dark. But when you walk in the darkness, generally, it's a amount of time before you trip, before you fall, before you kick something, before you run into things. And Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness. Now, when you look at this word walk, it's used 96 times in the New Testament. And it was fascinating reading through each of these times it was used in the New Testament this week. Here's some of the definitions of what this word means. Walk means, literally, to make one's way. Walk means to make progress. And walk, this word here, means to conduct or regulate one's life. This verb to walk is used to teach Christians in the New Testament letters repeatedly saying, here's what Christian living is and here's what Christian living is not. Walk this way is the way that a Christian walks. If you walk this way, this is not, this is how the world walks. And it was encouraging to read these things. And as I read these passages of scriptures, I began to write just a summary of what I was reading. Again, it's used like 96 times in the New Testament. And here's what I wrote down as a summary of the word walk, this same word used in the other texts in the New Testament. This is what I wrote down. Some of you at one time walked in sin as enemies of Christ by walking in the flesh and walking in idleness. Instead, as you have received Christ, so walk in Him by the Holy Spirit. You are to look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, not in the futility of your mind, but properly, by walking not according to the flesh. And then it sums up with these simple statements. Walk in truth, walk in love, Walk in good works. Walk as children of light. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God, all for the glory of God. Church, repeatedly, the believers are told to walk in the light of Christ, just as he says to follow him. And as you walk in the light of Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit shines forth from your life and people know if you're walking in the light or walking in the darkness. But if you go back to where he just described about walking in darkness and then saying whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but walk in the, in, in the light of life, you have to stop just like we read in Ephesians and say, but how? How did this happen? The transition. I just know that one day I walked in darkness and then one day the Lord opened my eyes and I believed in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ and now I'm walking differently than when I walked over here. That is the power of God making you walk in His ways by the power of the Holy Spirit so that He gets all the glory for the good work done in you. As we saw in John chapter 6, again, Jesus says this is the work of God, that you believe in Jesus Christ. 
Again, as we saw last week in John chapter 6, a perfect passage of Scripture regarding God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, and there's no contradictions because God is doing a work. And this work that I'm speaking of is the work that God the Father did through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the saving work, if you are a Christian today. The work that was finished at the cross before Jesus took His last breath. He said, it is what? He said, it is finished. There's no more work to do. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have to do a work to be saved. Jesus did the work, and he gives the gift of faith that you would believe in him, and all glory goes to God. Does that help you just go? Because again, I believe that many Christians today who are saved still battle daily, going, oh, Chobe talked about it in a sermon a couple weeks ago. He loves me, he loves me not. Again, this picture of, I read my Bible at 4.30 a.m. this morning, and I read three chapters. The Lord loves me. Oh, Lord, I'm going to bed. I, I didn't even think of you today. I didn't even pray today. Oh, the Lord doesn't love me. Lord, I, I'm signing up for the mission trip. I'm going down to Mexico. I'm so excited. And you, the Lord loves me. Oh, I didn't give any offering or tithes this month. The Lord does not love me. Do you see how you become your worst enemy? The battle of the mind that you have, it's because of you and your old sinfulness battle that you have. And God has made you new and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he says, walk in the light of life, Jesus Christ. But the reality is until we are with Christ, we will still battle the darkness. That's why we're told to put on the armor of God, the armor of light. This saving work was finished at the cross when Jesus Christ shed his blood and he bore the wrath of God the Father and he died in our place for our sins. The saving work to save his people from his sin crushed our enemy, which is death, when Jesus Christ came out of the tomb. Jesus has conquered death. And being in Christ, we too have conquered death. The saving work that is done to save us is done by the Holy Spirit who has come to convict the world of sin. And John 3 caused us to be born again. And this saving work to bring us out of the darkness into light causes the darkness to flee and opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. 1 Peter chapter 1 or chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, writing to Christians, it says, But you, you church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous what? Marvelous light. This is the work of God, to save his people from their sins. Just as when Jesus was, before he was born, and the angel said he will save his people from his sins, that is the work of Christ. And we praise him and give him thanks. And just as that text we just read there in 1 Peter, church, you are to proclaim the excellencies of God. 
by giving glory to him, by singing praises to him, by giving glory in anything that you ever do good, the glory goes to God. It says, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, give glory to God. You may think of the smallest detail this week, and you might think, oh, that's just circumstance, that just happened. No, give glory to God. Because as you give glory to God, people looking in darkness pay attention. And just as Jesus told the disciples, you will be hated by the world. Some of the attention that will come to you as you proclaim the excellencies of God in this world is people will hate you. So just be ready for it. And then there is also, as you proclaim the excellencies of God, there are those who will see the light of Christ and their hearts will be changed and they will believe in Jesus Christ and they too will become a child of the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus says this, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of light. And so if you're a Christian here, your great challenge this morning is this. Between now and when Christ returns or between now and when you breathe your last and you go to be with the Lord, your challenge is the same as mine. We are to shine like stars in the universe, Jesus Christ. That's the challenge. And if you are like me, you find out very quickly you can't do it. Because all we want to do is go back to the things of the dark, even just a little hint of the darkness. You can only shine like the stars in the universe, the light of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul says this, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of what? The armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on who? What's it say? The Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires and so when you read Romans and you're like, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and why don't I do the things I want to do? This argument that Paul lays out here, when you get to chapter 13, he says, put on the armor of light. You read Ephesians chapter 6, it says, put on the armor of God. This picture of the armor of light, it's Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do we do that? The great thing is Ephesians tells us that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We don't lose the Holy Spirit, but a few chapters later, it says be filled with the Holy Spirit and know that we can quench the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't control the power of the Holy Spirit, but as we try to seek back into the darkness, there's this quenching of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And so what should we do? We should get on our knees and pray. We should pray throughout the day. We maybe have set times that we do that, but we may in the moment, just as Nehemiah, when he was asked by the king, what do you need? It says he stopped and prayed in the midst of that moment in his mind and sought the Lord. What are the challenges that you have today, tomorrow, that you're facing at school, at work, with your neighbors, family, and you need to just stop even in the moment and pray because you know that if you don't pray, all that's going to spew from your mouth is the old darkness you used to battle with. I was thinking this morning as I was driving here, I was like, Lord... Forgive me, because some of my words have come out, and those are things of the darkness. And you've called me out of the darkness into your light. How else do we do this? 
if Jesus Christ is the true light, then we need to read his word. As we read his word, the Holy Spirit moves in our heart, opens our eyes to understand things we've not understood before. And you might say, I've read that 20 times before. Praise the Lord, the Lord gave me understanding today. Because you don't need a commentary. You don't need another book. All you need is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And so if I could tell you anything to walk in the light, pray, read the Word of God. Be a part of the fellowship of the body of Christ so you have others who are also shining the light of Christ, encouraging you to walk in the ways of the Lord. The summer before um, my senior year, uh, every year during the summer, I'd always go um, to a camp called Heartland Christian Camp in Badger, California. My sisters, we all grew up going to that. And, and it was a week of camp. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a great time. And I remember going, I'm getting ready to go into my senior year. And so I love games. And later on, after I graduated, I was a part of the rec team. And we would do crazy fun games, just that, that, that have fun during the week as well, in the midst of constant teaching the Word of God and worship through song. But there was a night game that everyone liked and waited for. And I love the night games, just like Capture the Flag. And to this day, as I read the text this week in John, I was like, Heartland Christian Camp, summer of 1992, there was a game in which we all were in the outdoor amphitheater, and I think there was about 350 high school students, and they began to describe the game that we're going to play. And I think they called it like Bible smugglers or something like that. And what they did is they said, all right, here is a map of camp. There is a whole bunch of soldiers, border patrol out there, and they've got flashlights, and they've got big old lights, and they want to arrest you. And there's a jail that they're going to go put you in. And we're going to send half of you on the other side because you're going to live in a country that the Bible has not been there. And so half of the group, was more than half the group, like 75% of the 300-something students go across to the other side. And there's just a few people left in this amphitheater. And one person giving instruction. And as they did that, they gave everyone these two like uh, wrist bracelets, but it was put one together in a necklace. And you went out, and you didn't have a physical Bible, but you were going, and you had to sneak across the border and find someone who lived in that country and give them half of your necklace, and you both come back because it was like you went, took a Bible, shared the gospel, and they were saved. And then you get a free pass to come all the way back. And then when you came all the way back to the amphitheater, then they're like, all right, let's get another one. Now both of you have to go out. So they give us two more bracelets, and you put it on. And to this day, I can still picture the very end of the game. And you look down this one main pathway of camp. All the lights are out at camp, and you literally see hundreds of lights coming towards you. You go, wow. And we gathered in this amphitheater outside. And to look around at the end of the game, 300 high school students waving these glow-in-the-dark things while we're singing worship and praise the Lord God Almighty was a glimpse, was a picture of who you are to be in this world today. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may 
see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Some of you know this song because you grew up in church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know it? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, hey, you know it. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. Okay, now stop. That's, that is theologically wrong. Because Satan has no power to remove the light of Jesus Christ in any believer. So if you are singing that song, kick that to the road. Just sing the first two verses over and over. Because literally, Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, no one can snatch my people from my hand. Satan cannot blow out the light of Christ in you. Therefore, church, you are to follow Christ, walk in the light of Christ, and shine the light of Christ and know that he is your protector. He is the one who cares for you. He is the one that shines through you. And there's nothing you can say or do to work something up in yourself to be the light of Christ. You are to go just as I am. To go and declare Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. Risen again on the third day. Ascended to heaven where he's ruling and reigning now. And one day he will return. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess your sins before him, you will be saved by the work of God and not by your work. Heavenly Father, we come before you and humbly ask that you would shine through our life. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do such good works among your people that people here in Missoula would see those good works and give glory to you. Father, we pray that you would fill us with boldness, with strength, with the joy of the Lord, that we would go and declare your excellencies, so that people who are walking in darkness now would see the light of Christ and be saved. Father, do that work in us because we don't want to go out. We're fearful to go out in the darkness. We don't know what to say, we think. But Holy Spirit, by your power, we can go and be obedient to what you called us to do. Father, I pray that today that anyone who's been living in darkness, who's in this room today, that today is the day of salvation, that right now that you are flooding their heart with the light of Christ. Holy Spirit, that you're convicting them of their sin, that you're showing them the cross, showing them the empty tomb, and saving them, and you get all the glory. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for ours. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.